Amen. Good morning, church family. We all well? Nice to see you all. Look, if you're new to Coastline, um, maybe you're asking the question. Basically, every time we worship, I often look around the room, and I'm praying, and I'm just looking at what uh, what is going on. And I often think to myself, wow, if you're new here today and you see all these people like with their hands in the air, like, what are you thinking? Are you thinking that people are like, hey, I've, I've got a question, or, or maybe they've got two if they've got both hands in the air? <laughs> but basically, in the Psalms and in 1 Timothy and other places in the Scriptures, it talks about lifting our hands to the Lord. And it's this expression of surrender and openness before God. So as I look across and as people are worshipping, it's just this kind of this beautiful picture of us lifting our hands to our Father and then Him lifting us up. And of course, there's no pressure. You don't have to lift your hands to the Lord, uh, but it's just a beautiful thing to watch in this church family. Today, I'm going to start by jumping into Acts 2. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them, uh, have a look uh, at that. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, please do take one of those Bibles as a gift from us. Otherwise, it's going to come up on the screen. Acts 2 really is this picture of what the early church looked like. But just before we get into this, there is one common phrase that some people think of when they think of the church. Maybe you can help me finish this sentence. The church is always asking for money. money. You said said that quite confidently. (laughs) Look, I'm not saying that everyone says this, but some people do think that about the church. Today, some of you will realize as you came in on your seats, there is a pledge form, and you have come today on our annual giving Sunday. So I am totally unapologetic that I'm going to talk to you today about giving, and specifically about giving money. We can give a lot to God in terms of our time and our talents, but today I want to talk to you about giving of our treasure of our money. Please don't switch off and just, just hear me out. I heard a story uh, a couple of weeks ago about two men that were shipwrecked. They'd uh, made it to this deserted island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, probably no bigger than this stage. There was uh, one palm tree in the middle. They're completely surrounded by water. However, these two guys had very different responses One guy just kept running around saying, look, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. Whereas this other fella just sat down, leant against the palm tree. He was completely content. The other man who was panicking finally spoke up and he said to this guy, look, how can you be so calm? The guy responded, don't worry, don't worry. I earn a hundred grand a month. The panic man said, what on earth does that have to do with us being deserted on this island? We're going to die and you're worried about your income. The chill guy said, look, stop worrying. I'm a member of a church back home. And the panic guy says, that has no bearing on our situation. We've got no fresh water. We've got no access to food. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And the chill guy said, listen. Maybe you've misunderstood me. I earn 100 grand a month. I'm a member of my church back home, and I tithe. My pastor will find us on this island. 
sadly, that is the way that some people think when they hear a pastor wanting to speak about money. Sometimes what people think is that all the pastor is trying to do is beef up the budget in some way. So let me say right from the off, I am so grateful to be part of a church family that is so extravagantly financially generous. We have a reputation in this coastline community and across this town for being a generous people. And I'm not speaking about this topic because I'm just trying to beef up the budget. I'm wanting to share this message today so that we can all learn better what the Word of God actually says about money and generosity. I'm not here to twist anyone's arm or manipulate anyone, but it's really important to me that we preach the whole counsel of the Word of God so that God can stretch us and grow us up in Him. Do you know that God talks more about money in the Bible than He does any other topic? And I think the reason He talks about it so much is because what we do with our money reveals what's going on in our hearts and reflects how we live. God deeply cares about our hearts And to quote J. John, as I've done many times before, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. I also think that God talks a lot about money because some of us here know that money can be an incredible blessing, and some of us have experienced that. But it can also be a significant curse and can cause all sorts of heartache for which many of us bear the scars. So today... I want us to see that financial giving is a key part of being the church. Let's look at Acts 2, uh, 44 and 45. This is the early church. They're gathering in homes. They're celebrating together. They're breaking bread together. People are getting saved every day. And then in verse 44, it says this. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. What we see here in the early church is this expression of them saying, what's mine is yours. They're expressing their love for Jesus by giving to one another. This early church picture is of of generous hearts. It's not something that's forced by the law. The early church, they wanted to give. They sold various things at various times, and they gave to those in need. A bit further down, we get more clarity on how the church responded to giving as we look at Acts chapter 4. Here again, we see the believers, they're selling their possessions to meet the needs of those around them. In fact, we see here that they sell land and they sell different possessions, and with the money that they get, they lay it at the feet of the apostles. Here we see organization. These believers gave money that they acquired, and they gave it to the leaders of the church to distribute to those in need. This isn't just a slash dap, uh, slapdash operation. There is organization here. And of course, as we get into Paul's letters to the churches, we see more and more organization. I think the most important thing we need to understand as apprentices of Jesus, is that giving financially is an essential element of walking and following him. 
Now, I know a number of people, and maybe you you do too, that have gone their whole Christian lives and don't feel that giving is exciting at all. Despite the fact that we see here with this early church, just a little bit further down, Acts 2.46, it said that they did all of these things with glad and sincere hearts. When they gave, they were thrilled to give. So let me ask you the question. If giving in the scriptures was supposed to be an enjoyable experience, why do some people still feel like it's a, a grudge thing or something that they have to do? Why is that? See, I think the reason that some people feel like that is because they don't know the biblical ways of how to give and consequently miss out on the blessing and the joy. So let me briefly share some biblical instructions from the Word of God on how we should give. First, we're going to look at Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. Very common story. We've shared it loads of times. This is where uh, Jesus actually gives us some specific insights into the biblical principles of giving, and it's in the story of the widow who gave two coins or two mites. The context, what's happening here is that Jesus is talking to his disciples in the temple, and then he notices that an offering is being taken. It says this, it'll come up on the screen. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. It's like an offering box or a plate or something like that. Then he sees a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Some of your translations might say mites. Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. What a beautiful picture, watching this widow widow faithfully give her offering. And I believe that God is saying here, this is the heart that I'm looking for. See, firstly, biblical giving is sacrificial giving. It should cost us something. And some people are missing out on the joy of giving to God, excuse me, excuse me, because it doesn't really cost them much. It's really just like a, it's like a side note. Some people are not giving an offering, they're giving like a tip to God. It should cost us something. A significant part of giving is sacrifice. Do you remember in 2 Samuel, we find this account of David where he wants to give an offering to the Lord. And he was traveling around and he went to try and purchase a field from this guy called Aruna. But as soon as this man recognizes that he's talking to the king, he did what probably all of us would do and say, oh, no, 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 I want to give you the island. Sorry, I want to give you this land. I want to give it to you. And David said, no, no, I don't want you to give me this uh, land, this field, because then you're going to rob me of the blessing of giving sacrificially. And this is what uh, he said in 2 Samuel 24, 24. But the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So the cost of a gift demonstrates sacrifice. It should cost us something. Biblical giving should be sacrificial. But biblical giving should also be selfless. 
In the context of the widow's offering, before Jesus honors the widow, he talks about how the rich only gave out of their wealth. Scholars say that actually in Luke, some of these rich people that are putting their offerings in are actually the scribes. And these guys would have been the ones who knew the law and wrote all the legal documents for all the people. And referring to these scribes in Luke 20, 47, Jesus says this. He says, they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Scholars actually believe that the widows um, would receive uh, an inheritance because obviously, sadly, they had lost their husbands. They didn't know where to go to get sound financial advice, so they'd go to these scribes. They thought the scribes were, were knowledgeable and they thought that they were trustworthy. And the scribes would give these widows bad advice. They would manipulate these widows and make massive profit financially from them. And of course, in this story, Jesus knows this, and he calls out these rich scribes. Remember, these scribes would have probably brought much bigger offerings than the widow, but Jesus isn't impressed with the scribes' gifts. He's impressed only with what the widow gave. Jesus is saying here that it's a sacrificial gift, but it's also a selfless gift. And I think one of the things we need to ask ourselves uh, as we give a gift is, am I giving this gift for the glory of God, or am I giving it to benefit me? Some of these guys would have been giving just so that everyone else could see they were giving. But let me tell you, this is one of the reasons why it's so beneficial to give to the local church. I really believe that God calls us to give to the local church. You say, of course you do. You're a pastor of a local church. You're a little bit biased. But look, I've mentioned this before. There have been seasons in my life before I was a pastor of a church where I've been on benefits. I've been in debt. I've worked voluntary 50, 60 hours a week, some weeks, week in, week out, week in, week out. But in the last nearly 20 years, I've always given to the local church. Do you know why? There are some wonderful organizations that are worthy of our gifts, but there's only one organization for which Christ died, Ephesians 5.25, and that's the church, the local body of believers. Another thing about giving to the local church is that when we give to the local church, we have the opportunity to invest in all sorts of amazing kingdom ministries and mission. From extending the kingdom of God here in Bournemouth, investing in helping to serve the poor and the marginalized, being part of seeing people coming to faith. We're seeing that every week in Coastline. To, to, to resourcing the family of God, to proclaim the gospel and demonstrate the gospel, to see the kingdom come, to be part of international missions uh, abroad. And uh, as many of you will know, recently we helped fund an ambulance to go into Ukraine, to name one of our uh, external uh, abroad missions. But this only happens through the local church as we give to the local church. In fact, I can only speak about this local church, about Coastline, but when we give to this local church, there are robust accountability systems and structures in place to make sure that our funds are apportioned correctly. 
So when we give, it's, it's totally out of our hands, but we can fully trust what happens to it. It's a selfless gift. See, when we give to other organizations, sometimes it's not selfless because it benefits us in some way. If you're here today and you own your own business, you know that if you give money to charity, there's a tax break in there. When we give to the local church, we're saying, Lord, I trust you with this. It's selfless. And also to add, that when we give to the local church, maybe God might put it on your heart from time to time to want to give to one specific ministry or another. And of course, that's right. I want to encourage you to do that if the Lord is prompting you. But let me just give a word of warning. Be careful not to fall into the trap of giving regularly the bulk of your money to restricted funds, saying, well, I want to give to this project, or I want to give to that project. I mean, my conviction is that we need to give to the local church. We need to trust the Lord and allow the Lord to use other people to portion those gifts. So first, a, gift is, a biblical gift is sacrificial. Second, a biblical gift is a selfless gift. And coming back to this story of the widow's offering, we notice that this lady drops in two small coins, these mites. I think we've got a picture of them coming up on the screen. Just two small copper coins worth about pound thirty-five today. It's a pretty humble gift. You can imagine that all these people are putting loads of like big offerings in there, and she drops in these two little coins. And of course, according to accounting practices, it doesn't really make sense what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, this lady has given more than all the rest. But according to God's economy, it makes total sense. Why? Because he said she has given all she had. She gave more because she gave all. And I think God is not always interested in the portion we give. Rather, he's way more interested in the proportion we give. My conviction and study from this book on this topic is that the Bible tells me that biblical giving is sacrificial, it's selfless, but thirdly, it's proportional and it's based on how God blesses us, which is a super important biblical principle See, if we're giving the same, uh, when we, uh, same as we uh, do now when, when we received uh, far less, then we're missing out of watching our proportion grow. And when we talk about proportion, it's related to our income, the money that is coming into our household. And just so you know, this is the reason that I don't know what anyone gives in this church I know some of my other pastor friends want to know exactly what people are giving, but it's never been very helpful to me. I don't want to treat people differently based on how much they give. And think about it. Even if I knew what everybody gave in this church, based on what I've just said, it's not enough information. I mean, if I find out that somebody is giving £1,000 a month, I might think, wow, they're really on fire for the Lord. But if that person makes £100,000 a month, I'd actually think they're blatantly robbing God. But you know, there may be someone in the church that makes 500 pounds a month, but gives 200 pounds a month. And now that person is on fire for the Lord because they're trusting God with an incredible sacrifice. So just seeing the numbers doesn't help me. 
God sees the heart. God's not just interested in what we give. He's interested in what we have left over. And he's wanting us to trust him with that. Now, it always brings up the question, is the tithe a New Testament principle or is it an Old Testament principle? Lance was just sat there waiting for me to answer this question. If you're new to the church, a tithe is a posh-churchy word for a tenth, one out of ten. See, God's people are called to give a tenth of their income all the way through the Old Testament. And a tenth is very important because a lot of Christians don't understand that a tithe means a tenth. Looking at a few average uh, national stats, the average member of a church gives about 2% of their income to the church. But a lot of people say they tithe, but they don't really tithe. They give 2%. They give a tooth, not a tithe. (laughs) And for sure, the Old Testament talks about the tithe. And Jesus talks about the tithe in the New Testament. He actually had the perfect opportunity to ditch the tithe altogether when he brings it up in Matthew 23, 13. He says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth, a tithe of your spice, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus doesn't say here that the tithe doesn't matter anymore, but he had the chance to. But hear me right, we're clearly under the age of grace, aren't we? So when we're asking the question, is it biblical to tithe, I would say we're asking the wrong question. We're kind of missing the point of grace. And as I've mulled this, I think there are three ways that we can give. We can give because we feel we have to, and that's giving according to the law, and that's no fun. We can give because we think we ought to, and that's according to guilt, and that's no fun either. And honestly, a lot of people live their whole Christian lives giving based on those two principles. But we can also give because we want to, and that's based on grace. I believe that's what God wants from us. He wants us to get to a place of worship, where it is a thrill to give back to him out of what he has given us. So the tithe is a wonderful biblical principle because it's proportional. And all through the New Testament, you see the proportional principle continue. Just to mention a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, Paul says this. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 11 says, Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. So God's word is saying here that giving is according to our income. If God blesses you richly with a lot, you should give a lot. If God blesses you with a little, you should give a little. That's also to say that poverty and financial hardship does not eliminate the responsibility of generosity. Remember the widow here, she gave all and she had very little. Don't let the enemy rob you of the privilege of giving during financial hardship. 
Now, I know, I know this. Some of you are going through tough, ta- tough times right now. But I want to assure you that some of the greatest blessings that have happened in my life have come when I've trusted Jesus in financial difficult times. The blessing hasn't always been a financial blessing, but God has blessed me immeasurably during those time, times. From a biblical perspective, giving should be proportional. Why? Because it's an expression of us trusting God, and that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to trust him. So biblical giving is sacrificial, it's selfless, it's proportional, And I mentioned this at the birthday uh, a few weeks ago. Biblical giving should also be first. Throughout the scriptures, there's this principle of first fruits giving. First fruits is an agricultural term. It goes right back to Proverbs 3 verse 9. And it says, On the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. When people brought in a harvest, the very first harvest that came in was the first fruits. And what God was saying was, trust me. I'm the giver of the whole harvest. I want you to trust me with the first fruits. Think about that as a farmer. Like uh, bringing in the very first part of the harvest for the Lord, not knowing if the rest of the harvest would come in. But knowing that God gave you the harvest and of trusting him, that he will provide the rest Later on, choosing to give the very first part to God shows him that we trust him. That's what God calls us to do throughout the scriptures. We're meant to give out of the first portion of which God blesses us. Sadly, some people say, no, 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 I will give to you, God. I am going to give to you, but first of all, I'm going to cover all of my uh, monthly, weekly uh, outgoings, and whatever money I have left, then I'll give it to you. That's not first fruits giving. That's last fruits giving. And really it says, God, I don't trust you with my money. To be really practical, this is why I've always given by standing order. The reason that I give online is because pretty much all of my financial life takes place online. My wages are paid online. They go straight into my account. All of our bills are paid online. They're electronic. In order for me to trust God and give my first fruits, I give through standing order. So I know that the first thing that goes out of my account is my giving. It avoids me ever missing a month. It just goes out straight away and it's me saying to the Lord, I trust you with the first. It allows me and of course Alice to participate in first fruits giving. And it's a wonderful thing that God calls us to. God wants us, as a church, to give biblically. That means it's sacrificial. That means it's selfless. That means it's proportional. That means it's first. And the last thing I want to highlight, which is really the embodiment of this whole story about the widow, is that biblical giving is lastly worshipful. And it goes beyond any practical sense of what we should do. It's really about our hearts engaging in an ongoing journey of bit by bit by bit understanding the mystery of kingdom economics. One of the things that I love to do with my kids is watch films. And sometimes I'll get a treat. Uh, Some of these, Skittles. 
I'm a very popular dad when I have a packet of these. And we'll sit down to watch a film. And uh, basically, every parent in the room or every parent that's watching online has experienced this phenomenon at least once in your child's life. So we'll, we'll sit down to watch a film. Obviously, I'll proportion all these out to my kids. They've all got a bowl each. And then during the film, I'd reach across into their bowl to try and take a skittle. And what do they say? Mine! <laughs> and they look at me stone cold in the face. And I'm just trying to have a sweet. It's the weirdest thing to watch. Every child in the history of the world has done that, right? It's crazy. And as a parent, it kind of hacks you off. So when that happens, what I say to the kids is that they've missed some core principles that I should have already taught them. The first thing that you've forgotten, kids, is that I gave you the Skittles. And that should count for something, right? The second thing you forgot is I don't need your Skittles. I don't need your Skittles. Listen, I'm not a man of many means, but I can afford to buy me some Skittles if I want. In fact, kids... If I wanted to, on the way home from work, I can go and buy as many Skittles as I wanted. I could fill up the paddling pool in the garden, make you sit outside, and I could swim in them. <laughs> Another thing you forgot <laughs> is that I could take those Skittles anytime I wanted to. No, I could take them anytime I wanted to. One minute. They're good. Sorry. <laughs> and the last thing that these kids forgot is that it was in their best interest to be generous to me. Do you know why? Because if they'd have just said, hey, Dad, look, I want to I share our Skittles with you. It gives me joy to share what you have given us. Dad, do you want some Skittles? Do you know if they said that to me, do you know what that makes me want to do as their father? I want to give them some more Skittles. <laughs> I want to bless them because I want to share. Listen, precious church, there's a tragedy in the lives of a lot of Christians today where some of us still look at giving as some kind of obligation instead of one of the greatest privileges that God has given us, to actually experience the thrill of watching the Lord meet all of our needs supernaturally. See, the whole message of the gospel is a story of giving. We were hopeless, we were dead in our sins, separated from God. But then John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, he gave, he gave everything. That if we would believe in his son Jesus, we would receive the greatest sacrificial gift that anyone could receive. Salvation, new life, eternal life with him now and forever. There's a number of people here today, and maybe you're watching on live. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years, and you've never trusted God with your money. Maybe you've given him all sorts of things, but when it comes to this, your wallet, you've said, God, I can handle this myself. I wonder today if God, by his Holy Spirit, would say to you, trust me with your money.
Because really, it's an, it's an expression of everything else. Church, our giving and our faith are deeply intertwined. It should be sacrificial. It should be selfless. It should be proportional. And it should be worshipful. Amen? Amen. Amen.